0: Step up, take control of your business, and decide to be your very best as a leader right now. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Payton with the Lead Now podcast. And today I couldn't be more excited to introduce Dr. Danny McVitie. Dr. Danny is a veterinarian and founder of Lap of Love, a national network of veterinarians providing hospice care for sick animals, the first organization of its kind in the United States. Dr. Danny is a speaker, consultant, entrepreneur, author, and host for Pet Care TV. And she's passionate about making sure animals are given the best end of life care possible. Dr. Danny, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Mike. So let's start with your purpose and passion, if we can. What is it that motivated you to start this business and provide this valuable service in the world?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's where everything starts, right? I was doing emergency medicine when I first graduated. And when you're doing emergency veterinary medicine, there's a lot of conversations that kind of go with, we're either doing this or we're doing that. And the only wrong answer is doing nothing. We have to do something. And a lot of times the that is euthanasia. So I kind of found that I just had this gift with people. And, you know, I love medicine. I'm a scientist. I'm a veterinarian. You know, I went through a lot of school to learn medicine but I, I found that I love the people even a little bit more than I love the medicine. So in emergency medicine, you have a lot of those conversations and it turns into hospice and it turns into end of life. So I found myself just offering to go to somebody's home and I did it once and I did it again and again, again, again. And it just, at first it was just me. And I just thought, okay, you know, I love doing this. It's going to be a great part-time gig and I'll pay back my student loans, you know, 10% faster. And, all of a sudden I was making more money and busier doing lap of love than I was doing emergency medicine. And I just kind of slowly shifted over to just end of life care. And then multiple things happen where, you know, somebody reaches out and says, I want to do this too, or can I help you? And all of a sudden I'm, I'm more busy than I can handle and not, now I'm hiring somebody else. And, you know, so it's just this process of there's another opportunity that presents itself. Are you going to say yes or no? And I just kind of felt like I kept saying yes. And now here we are 10, 11 years later, and we have a little over 150 doctors in 34 different states with a team of over uh, almost 300 people.
0: That's amazing. And a very consistent story I hear when people are giving their stories is that you've got a passion, a skill and work ethic, and you wake up one day and people are working for you our listener is going to feel like your story is quite familiar if I'm not mistaken.
1: To me, that's what an entrepreneur is. You know, a lot of people will say an entrepreneur is like, what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm like, an entrepreneur is not a job title. Okay. An entrepreneur is a set of personality traits. And it means, like you said, work ethic, a skill, and you just bust your butt doing it yeah. and you're willing to do it. Exactly. And I I, remember I probably pulled one all nighter a week when I first started because I loved it but it was never work. Like I was constantly motivated and just driven to do it. Cause I I loved what I was doing.
0: Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed or spoken with who say, you know, the hard part of the job was remembering to bill people. (laughs) You're you're running a business and you're working your tail off and you got to get paid. Right. So it's very few of my clients, very few of the companies running on EOS were started by somebody who said, Hmm, let me develop a well thought out business plan. And a strategic action plan and blah, 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 you start doing something and it turns into a business and here you are. So describe the organization today. You said 150 doctors, 34 states. What else can you tell me about the way Lap of Love works with its clientele? Yep,
1: yeah. And then we have about 80 amazing team members that help answer phones and we answer phones for 14 hours a day which is really one of the things that is imperative in what we do. And then we the rest of the team is made up of just some amazing support leadership that help run the company and and manage the doctors and manage the schedules and manage the team. And so what I can tell you is that we've been growing so fast, I don't even know those numbers anymore. (laughs) We used to know them, but they could change from yesterday. So we've grown immensely. And particularly since post-COVID, in-home care has now become essential. Whereas in-home care was just something that was a bit of a, I don't want to say luxury because it's not luxury, but it was an afterthought. It was, a, right. oh, wow, wouldn't this be great? But now in-home care has become essential. So our calls, we have almost doubled since last year. This right. Time.
0: I would imagine a lot of pet owners weren't even sure it was a thing in home care well, pre-COVID yeah. and now yeah. they're conditioned to ask the question, right? You're exactly. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. What role or roles do you play in the organization today?
1: So our implementer, who is, you know, a dear friend of you and me, both Chris White, he, when we first started talking with him, he was like, you're the, you're a visionary. And I like, I fit the bill from A to Z of a visionary. So I'm definitely in that role. We have not had a particular person to fit in the integrator role. So I'm still in that seat. Got it. My now business partner is incredible. And her and I have shared that role for a long time. It wasn't all her and it wasn't all me. It was kind of like a shared thing. But now that we've grown, she's able to really take her department. And so I'm still in those two seats. Got it. I need to not be in those two seats. Yes, you do.
0: And I'm sure Chris is in your ear about that, right? Yeah.
1: And we have a path for that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So just to to clarify for any listener who is not familiar with the term visionary integrator, the visionary is typically the founder of the business, big idea person, big relationship person, loves to operate at 30,000 feet integrator is the person who runs the day-to-day, drives accountability, beats the drum, keeps the trains running on time. And Dr. Danny is a visionary stuck in the integrator seat, which is very common for an organization growing and scaling as fast as you are. And it's an issue that needs to be solved sometime soon. So what does your typical day or week look like in those two roles, if there is such a thing these days?
1: Yeah, it's different than it was pre-COVID, obviously, but. You know, it starts off with, and Chris helped out so much with this. I mean, I can't tell you what he did for us and and our team. So what what was happening before EOS is that I was sitting with every department in every meeting and it was laborious because I felt like I was in meetings all day long and I wasn't doing anything. And then I have to leave, you know, because on a personal level, picking up my kids from school has always been very important Mm -hmm. to me. So I would leave to go get my kids. And then I literally, I sat in meetings all day and I wasn't doing anything. So once we had Chris's help, he helped me to step out of the department meetings and then just go to one-on-ones with the department heads. And that helped just streamline my time so much. He taught me and the team, all of us, how to have data organized in a really efficient way. So now what I do is all my one-on-ones are done on Monday and Tuesday. And so again, that's with all the department heads. And so I get a quick rundown of what's going on, what's happening, you know, any direction they need. And then Tuesday afternoon, we have our ET meeting. So we have our level 10 meeting. And that's great because now I've already had an update from everybody. Now we're really efficient on the L10. And then the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, everybody's off doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. I get a lot of more efficiency. The departments still have their own meetings throughout the week, but then I get a report from every meeting. I read it just to see anything else, you know. So it's so much more efficient than we used to be.
0: Awesome. Nice to hear that this has had a positive impact and nobody hates meetings more than I do and so being part of a meeting that doesn't feel like it's adding value, you couldn't pay me enough. So I'm telling you. Why do you think your organization is so successful?
1: you know, this is going to sound humble and I don't, I don't really mean it to be that way at all. I think we're successful. 99% of the reason is just simply because we do something that is so meaningful. And so I don't have to convince families of the value of what we do. I don't have to convince doctors of how wonderful it is to do what we do. I don't have to convince our support center team that answering the phone is a noble and valiant thing to do. It's an, it's an inherent thing in what we do. So I think we have all the pieces that make this a very beautiful and simple and easily sellable and I don't mean that in a sales way. I mean it in a personal way. You know, I don't have to convince anybody of the good of what we do. All it takes now is a leadership team that reminds them of what they do. That's all it takes. just have to cool. remind them of amazing work that we do. And all of a sudden we have this awesome, you know, easily communicating team that just continues to work harmoniously and we fix the tweaks when we need to fix them. And you know, but I, I think that that's the main reason why what, in our company we've been successful.
0: Yeah, um, for the record, I am a pet owner and read your profile a couple of weeks ago when we were first discussing you coming on the podcast and I went, what a great idea. So, and it's surprising. It's a need that hasn't been filled before. So
1: we hear that now, but you know, just like any entrepreneur that's listening to this, like at the time when I first started, I can't tell you how many people said you can't make a business out of that. Yeah. No other doctor. That's not scalable. Nobody's going to want to do that. Clients aren't going to want to do that. People don't want to have that done in their home. You know, but you do it, and you do it, and you hone in in your business model, and you hone in the service of what you do, and all of a sudden, everybody, it's like obviously it makes sense. Yeah.
0: Well, I would add to your definition of entrepreneur a person who doesn't listen to that kind of negative mindset, sees opportunity where somebody else sees an obstacle. So
1: my attorney told me that a lot. Yeah. You don't listen. (laughs) (laughs) He's like some of my best clients don't listen to me. I'm like. Okay, good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, and and at those rates, you know, that's probably unusual. So, and then what's the biggest challenge the organization is facing today?
1: At this moment, our challenge right now, just us in in the veterinary field is finding doctors. Mm. So, but that's a profession wide problem there. We just aren't graduating enough doctors to fill the need, right? You've got a kind of a two prong thing happening where 85 to 90% of the, of the graduates are female graduating veterinary school. There's no problem with that. Other than the fact that we love to have babies, you know, around our 26, 27, 35 year range. And that's, you know, right when you graduate vet school. And so if you just consider maybe 50% of them go, you know, stop at some point to have kids. Now you're talking about a certain percentage of the population that takes off anywhere from three to six months worth of work. So the amount of veterinary hours available goes down drastically. Again, this is just my opinion, you know, and then also the fact that pets have become so important in everybody's lives, that the demand for veterinary care has gone up. Mm-hmm. So you got these two things that are that are happening, and all of a sudden there's just this lack of veterinary yeah. hours available, so, and it's something that everybody is going through.
0: Yeah, very interesting. I, when we're talking about leadership, I want to talk about steps you're taking to address that challenge. But let me let me start with a historical question, and that is this. The question I like to start the leadership section of the interview with is, if you can go back to the first moment in your life where you saw someone lead in a way that resonated with you, either good or bad, what was the first time you recognized leadership? Who was the person? What were they doing? And what'd you learn from that experience?
1: You know, it has to be my dad. My mom and dad grew a, a business from nothing and made it one of the biggest wire manufacturers reps in the Southeast United States. And my dad didn't go to college. You know, he said he barely graduated high school. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, but my dad's the type of guy that can talk to anybody, whether or not it's the president of the United States, or it's the homeless man on the side of the road, he, he could talk to anyone and just get on their level. And I grew up watching him do that. So I can't think of a specific example, but I do remember one night, like one of my, my dad's warehouse men, and you know, they had 20, 30 warehouse guys and they're warehouse guys, right? They just load wire for a living. Mm-hmm. He was in jail. And my dad left at 11, 12 PM, whatever, or, you know, AM. And went out and got the guy out of jail and brought him to his house. And he did that a couple times. And that's just, I saw people follow my dad. And of course, my mom also, she just did more of like the, the accounting back end work. And, but I saw people follow my parents in a very selfless and unquestioning way. And even to this day, they have friends that are just, they would do anything for them. You know, and and my parents would do anything for them as well. And so I I think that 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 type of leadership, to me, it was gaining the respect of the people around you by your actions every single day.
0: Taking action to demonstrate that you care, not saying that you care.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Well said. Great story. Thank you. And certainly a common theme I hear from really, really good leaders is that you can't fake caring for sure.
1: And caring about the person. You're not just caring about them to the extent that they're in the warehouse working. Like you're caring about the person. You're caring about what they're doing. You're caring about their life. Like, you know, you you actually genuinely want them to succeed and have a great life. And that's the whole point, you know. Because if you have a great life and if you're happy, you're gonna stick with us and you're gonna work well and everyone's gonna thrive. Yeah. And hey, we might actually have a friendship. You know. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So leading starts with serving, is what I hear you oh, say. Yeah. 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 Well sure. said. As you watched that happen, did it create a desire in your own mind to become a leader or do you feel more like you woke up one day and found yourself a leader? And was it intentional or accidental, I guess?
1: I would say both mostly intentional though. You know, my parents didn't go to college. So I'm of the generation of 30, I'll be 39 this year. So I was of the generation of like, go to college, go to college, go to college, you know? And my parents told me that they didn't have a degree to fall back on. So I was raised with, you need a degree to fall back on. And I always wanted to be a veterinarian and I never wanted to be anything else. Mm. So that was my default. So I think that being a veterinarian was number one, but then I always knew that I wanted to be in the leadership role. And so, it was mostly intentional, but probably a bit of my personality also, just watching my parents, watching how they work. And I'm the oldest child and I'm the oldest of all my cousins. So I think coming with an oldest child mentality, you're like, this is just my role in life. Right. And it was always kind of expected. It was expected of me, meaning I expected it of myself. And it was probably somewhat expected of me on yeah. the outside.
0: <laughs> when you think about yourself as a leader, what are the characteristics or attributes you try to display that makes you feel proud of yourself as the leader? What are you aspiring to be as a leader?
1: I want people to feel better. I want them to be a better person because of something that I did, and not necessarily about me, but even like even our our support center team on the phone. you know, when we first started our support center, I couldn't afford to pay them more than $12 an hour. Like that's an entry-level job. And I knew these people didn't want to do that for the rest of their life. And I would tell them, I would say, look, I know you don't want to do this forever, but my goal is that whatever time you spend here makes you a better person for any other future job that you ever want. So there's communication tips, things that we'll talk about, how to, how to say something, how to phrase something, that it will make you a better person no matter where you end up going. And also letting them know that like, I'm not going to be mad at you if you have to quit if you have to get a different job you know anything and now we're able to pay our our people a lot more than that but it's still I know even our doctors I know that the tides of your life change and sometimes you need to go here and sometimes you need to go here and letting them know that like we're not in this just I'm I'm not being friendly to you just because you're working with us I'm being friendly to you because that's who we are Mm-hmm. And that's also what I expect of you, meaning we need to have good internal communication. And I have fired very, very productive people simply because they've been mean you know, to other people. Mm-hmm. So, And when we do that, everybody else in the company sees that. And now they understand a little bit more, right? Of like, wow, this really is about having good productivity. Yes, we have high standards, but at the same time, we have a standard of communication that means like you have to, and that's one of our core values that Chris helped us get. You have to care about people. Like you have to like people. You don't like people. You want to sit in a room and talk by yourself. That's not the right job for you. No hard feelings. It's just not there. you have to love people to work here. And that's what we want to exude back to our team too.
0: That's great. Great stuff. Are there any characteristics or attributes that you're leery of letting creep into your leadership style? In other words, describe the leadership disciplines that you don't have a taste for.
1: You know, I really don't like the heavy lingo, like the SOPs and blah, blah, blah. And like, and, and even some of the EOS lingo, I've like said, like, Chris, I'm not going to use that word. I'm going to use this word instead, yeah. you know, cause it just fits. It just fits better yeah. with what our organization is. So I really don't like that stuff. I thought the question I thought you were going to ask is like, what do you have to taper in yourself a little bit? And I have found that the older that I've gotten, the more introverted I've gotten, mm-hmm. I can turn on the extroversion. Like I can turn it on no problem, but I really have to sometimes like remind myself, especially in the COVID, you know, situation, like, you have to keep that communication up. You have to keep it at a high level and it has to be consistent. And sometimes I get to this mind of like, but I already said that. And then I have to remind myself, but that was last year and we have 50 new people and I have to say it again. And, you know, meaning good things like where we're going, our mission, vision, values, like saying these things over and over and over again is not a bad thing and it's not repetitious. Yeah. But I think the, co- the corporate stuff, I really, I'm a veterinarian first right. and I've learned to be a leader. So, that I think has gained me a lot of respect in the company because we're a veterinary service. And people, I, th- I think, typically tend to respect a veterinarian. Whereas if I just came with an MBA and a CEO title and all that stuff, that's a different respect that they're giving. And it's a little bit more of a hands-off approach. It's not as approachable, I guess, is the word.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm certain it's helpful that you're walking a mile in their shoes every yeah. day and you're not asking them to do anything. You're not in the trenches doing yourself. So the appearance of caring is less valuable than actual caring, Absolutely. in other yeah. words. So yeah. Yeah. we talked about your challenge of finding enough quality veterinarian students to fill the demand for your service. How are you dealing with that as a leader? How's your leadership team responding to that challenge?
1: Yeah. So to us, it's important to build the team and keep the team, right? Because even if we lose somebody now, all of a sudden we have to now invest again in you know, recruiting and marketing and all that stuff. So we spend a lot of our time, a recruiting, obviously, because that's important, but the recruiting also is a double benefit to us because we also generate a lot of our business through referral systems. So when I go and speak at a conference, now I'm not only speaking to people that are going to hear what I have to say and say, I want to do that too, but they also are going to hear what we're saying. And, um, you know, and then know that our company, knows what we're doing and then wants to refer to us as well. So it's, it's kind of two prongs. So the speaking and writing is something that my business partner and I, honestly, like we just kind of fell into and we, we liked it. So we just kept doing it. We had no idea how important it was to our presence within the veterinary space to continue to just put the message out of what we do conversations. You know, a lot of what we do, nobody was doing before. So just the protocol of euthanasia that we have is very different than what we were taught to do in veterinary school. Hmm. So we have a cocktail of medications and how we use them and how we deliver them. That is again, kind of very cutting edge and it allows the process to be as beautiful as it can possibly be. And that sharing of that process and of giving that information to other people at first, people would tell me, they're like, you're giving away your secret sauce. Why are you doing this? And I'm like, no, but we have to share this information. This is a benefit to everybody. And that is, attitude has brought a lot of people, A, referring to us, but then B, joining us. Now, once they join us, we got to keep them, right? So we have to be the employer of choice. We have to be the ones that care, that allow them to have the quality of life during the day that a lot of doctors don't have. We have to invest in them. And one thing that we did this year, which sounded crazy, my board was like, what do you want to do? We hired a life coach, and I had a life coach that's working with 15 of our doctors right now. And it's a six month plan, you know, and then after that, we're going to evaluate and most likely, cause everyone seems to love it. You know, she'll take another 15. And so this was, it's a strict and only an investment in them. And of course the outcome hopefully is that they're happy and that they feel in charge of their life. And all of a sudden they're not blaming something else for why they're unhappy and then maybe quitting. But instead, understanding that like you have complete control over your life and your happiness and that's the decisions great. that you make. A
0: couple of notes for the listener and just to kudos to you. So one of the bullets you find in a visionary's seat on the accountability chart is creative problem solving. 80% of the time, a visionary puts creative problem solving in their seat on the accountability chart. And that's the kind of thing... Any idea that your board thinks you're crazy to consider is creative problem solving and it's working, right? And it might not have worked, but you got to try when you're trying to solve a vexing problem that the whole industry is dealing with. That's a great story. Can you think of anything in your career you wish you had a do-over on from a leadership or management standpoint?
1: You know, I think everybody that's in this type of position of entrepreneur and growing would look back and say, well, there's, there were a couple of hires that maybe weren't the best at the beginning, but you know, I was really blessed to have Chris White's help. We started traction at the same time that I thought I had a problem and <laughs> he was amazing at actually showing us what the problem was. And then now we've learned from it. So I don't know that I would take it back because I learned so much from it. You know, so there was a little bit of that. There's maybe a little bit of how I handled some situations where I'm like, geez, I could handle that a whole lot better. Or I could have just cut right to the chase instead of holding on for a long time or little things like that, you know. But I think all in all, everything that we've done has really been very much on purpose and we've been blessed that it's mostly mostly turned out okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Hindsight is definitely 2020. I you know, what I hear a lot is the things I regret are not the things I did. It's the things I took too long to do. Or
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Right? Oh, I like that.
0: Let's talk about leadership outside a business context. And I love it because you started by describing your parents as leaders. And so what have you learned in the business that's impacted your life outside the business from a leadership standpoint?
1: You know, I have three and a half kids, so I'm pregnant with the fourth right now. That's oh,
0: congratulations. Yeah, that's great. And
1: so I think from a female's perspective, it's sometimes different because we are in a leadership role in work, and then you have to come home and you have to turn on the wife role. And it's very different because all I've got lots of books, as you can tell, I love reading <laughs> the book, right? I don't actually read them. I listen to them and then I buy them because I think it's a trophy that I need to put on. I my see. I like, so, I like yeah. it. I like it. So I've learned a lot about how you handle people and I can handle it so well at work and be calm and compassionate and loving. And when I get home, I have to handle it the same way. And sometimes I can get upset very easily at home sometimes when I really shouldn't, because I'm like, I wouldn't do that at work. Why would I take that personally? I take nothing personally at work. And then I get home and my husband says something and I've taken it personally, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've had to really, really learn how to take the best of what I learn at work communication wise and try, I'm not saying I do this well, by any means, my husband will tell you if you want proof, you know, but try <laughs> to put that on at home. And it was actually really funny is that my kids, so we've started homeschooling this year because of the COVID right. thing. And not because we were scared of it, just because the school system like had no idea what they were doing yeah. until two weeks before. I was like, never mind. This will we'll take, take, c- we'll take
0: care of this. Yeah.
1: We're going to do this for a year at least. And we'll see. And it's been going great. But like I manage the kids schedules, like I manage the employees schedules or like, at least like I used to. You know, like, here's what we're doing. And then this, and then this, and then remind them and then text them. Like, are you guys doing this? Come on, let's get on, you know, (laughs) and like have to remember, like, they got to get them going and inspired too. like, don't you want to be smart? Don't you want to learn this? No, I don't want to learn this. Well, you don't need to learn this, but you need to learn it for this. And, you know, so it's, it's a lot of it. A lot of it spills over into the family life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. An aha for me in my life was learning to treat my family like the most important business deliverable I had. And I'm a little embarrassed about that in that you shouldn't have to work hard at that. But I think, you know, talking about the difference between genders and roles, I think for a lot of men, the identity comes from your profession more than your family. And I think the opposite pressure exists for women. And it's hard. We're all navigating through unprecedented change in the dynamic of what a family is. And to be a leader of a business and have a family that looks to you for advice. And if your household is anything like most households, your children refuse to acknowledge your husband exists when they need something. And so they're looking for you. It's got to be hard. Got to be hard to balance even when they're not all at home. So it is,
1: you know, I think from a female's perspective, like you're supposed to do everything and I'm supposed to be the perfect leader and the perfect mother and the perfect wife. And, you know, and I, and I actually did go through a divorce after 10 years. So this is, this is my second husband. He's amazing. And so I learned a lot through that process. And it was, it was really tough because the business took a strain when the relationship took a strain simply because, because of the nature of it and everything. When you're an entrepreneur, it's all wrapped up into one. That's right. And it's one identity and it's one everything. It was tough. I'm I'm blessed to have gotten through it in a wonderful way, you know, and we have a great relationship. Well, you've
0: shown me already that your leadership style is infused with a tremendously positive mindset and attitude. And I think when you're going through something tough at home, the energy it takes to muster that positivity is just tenfold, right? And so, God, it's and I've been there myself as well and feeling the same overlap where you, you can't possibly be good at all of it at the same time. So
1: kudos to you for trying. Yeah. And everyone's telling you should be and you need to be here and you need to be this. Right. And and it does. And then everything kind of takes a stress, but you have to align priorities and make sure that you're doing the best you can here and the best you can there and then stop apologizing for it.
0: That's right. And demonstrate you care with your actions and listen and all the things you've talked about in your business are equally as important, arguably more so at home. So
1: Yeah, I know you're great exactly stuff. Right.
0: Sounds like your husband is smart enough to acknowledge that whenever something isn't working at home, it's definitely his fault. (laughs) And if he isn't, I hope he listens to this podcast.
1: He's amazing. All right. Sounds and he is so he know he knows what this business is to me. Yeah. You know, that's tough for an entrepreneur to work through.
0: Well, I think in any partnership, if you don't want your partner to live her or his passion and dream and purpose, it's not a true partnership.
1: Particularly when people, you just, you grow and you grow differently. And it's so tough. And particularly when you design or when you build a business, never are things exactly the way you think they're going to be. Right. Never. It always is different. So it's, and I think that's the way in life as well. Well,
0: and they're back to your original comments about the definition of entrepreneur. I couldn't live a life where my inbox looked the same every morning in my eight to five job, right? I mean, that would make me crazy. I want it to be different every day. And so complaining about it just doesn't seem like something I ought to be doing, so. Exactly right. If you could give a young leader who maybe is struggling right now, I mean, one of the things that motivated us to start this podcast is leadership is more valuable than it's ever been before and, and appears to be more at a deficit than it's ever been before. But at the same time, it's fraught with more risk and uncertainty than ever before. So there's a lot of people out there who really feel like they need to get better at this stuff. What advice would you give a young leader growing into his or her shoes as a leader?
1: You know, I get questions like that all the time from groups that I talk to and that kind of thing. It's fascinating to me because, well, first I'll start. If you want want some advice, read books, watch people that you look up to. You know, people, leaders that you look up to that are thinking, just watch them. And at the end of the day, you have to just do it. You can't just sit here and say, what book can I read to make me a good leader? What person can I talk to to be my mentor to make me a good leader? It's like, you have to just do it. And whether or not you're gonna lead a club that you're gonna start, whatever. You know, you have to start, leading and building and doing something. And then that's how you're going to learn. You can't learn from a book and you can't learn. You can get tips and stuff from a podcast and you can get tips and things from a mentor and you can get tips and stuff from, you know, a YouTube video. But at the end of the day, unless you're doing it, you're not actually putting bricks on a foundation that you can stand on.
0: Awesome. Get in the arena, make it work and learn from the things that work and the stuff that doesn't work. Right.
1: Well, and take the things that don't work and just say, great, awesome, you know, to something else. There, There is not one person that is at a high level of leadership that is going to tell you that they would regret their mistakes. Nobody is going to regret their mistakes. They're going to say, I learned from it. It was amazing. It was great. And I'm on, and I'm a better person because of it. And if I hadn't have learned from that, I wouldn't be where I was.
0: Agreed. Couldn't agree more. Dr. Danny, this has been an absolutely fabulous conversation. It's, it's been terrific getting to know you as a person. And- My respect for you as a leader is super high. Thank you for giving us your time and your insights. You're doing noble work and building a great organization. And it's just a great gift to share with our listener. Where can we learn more about Lap of Love and about you?
1: So we have an awesome website. that's going to be even more awesome next year, but it's uh, at lapoflove.com. And you can Google my name and you'll find it Dr. Danny at lapoflove.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to sharing this episode with the listener.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. Honored to be here.
0: If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor. Open your podcasting app and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. If you've already subscribed, please subscribe one of your friends.